bees can cope with a lot of different things. They have a, an incredible successful evolution. And just for the last hundred years, we just uh, cut and destroyed the natural evolution. And today we have nearly all of the bee colonies in beekeeping. So uh, beekeepers who feed, beekeepers who treat, beekeepers who prevent the colonies from swarming. And there you can see that under these conditions it's just not possible to adapt to changes. So it's not possible to adapt to new mites, it's not possible to adapt to climate change. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation. Welcome back to the Giraffe Heroes Foundation podcast. I'm Tom Amat, your today's host. This session, as well as the next five sessions approximately, will bring you highlights of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation GHF 2020 crowdfunding project, Giraffes for Ecology and Climate Adaptation. Our today's guest is André Wermelinger, Fribourg, Schweiz. André is the founder and leader of the NGO Free the Bees. André also has been commended Giraffe Heroes for his work about half a year ago. And André, last not least, is the co-manager of our crowdfunding campaign together with Jan Pierre and myself. André, welcome to our little studio here. Thank you. It's an honor being here. Everybody is talking about climate change. Almost as many people are talking about bees, about the bee malaise, about bees dying, about bees infected with foul brood, valois mite, etc., etc., we know you take a slightly different take on that. Could you give us your opinion regarding the bee issue in general? Well, uh, let's look at the reasons why bees are dying. So there are several uh, factors from the outside where an apiculture uh, beekeeper cannot really influence. So like pesticides, uh, which for sure are a big problem for the bees. What we do with Free the Bees, we look much more on the inside of a beekeeper and the beekeeper is somehow responsible for this bee's mortality too and the beekeeper doesn't really let natural selection play. So we have uh, bees as a, as a production animals. We use bees as production animals and we push them to maximum of work. So. Uh, we want to have a maximum of honey, we feed them sugar, we prevent them from swarming, we treat them three to four times a year on a regular base with organic acids, um, which is like some kind of heavy treatment. And this leads just to heavy side effects and bees under these conditions, they cannot adapt to their nature anymore and they cannot adapt neither to natural changes and to climate changes, whatever it is. But 
are we not doing similar things to other husbandry animals? I mean, cows are exploited to give more milk since as long as the bees are being kept to produce honey. So what is, what is it what makes the bees more affected than a cow? Yeah, we are doing the same things to other animals like cows. And if you compare, for example, what the cow is producing and how this, this production has been augmented since 1960, mm. uh, we have more or less doubled the amount of milk getting out of a cow since uh, 1960. Mm. And in the meantime, uh, since 1960, we have quadrupled the amount of honey we get out of a beehive. So we are much more intensive with the honeybees oh, than really? with, with cows. And this, in, in, in the same time, we have lost much biodiversity. So uh, plants, uh, flowers, uh, which deliver nectar. So this makes it really strange. We augment the production and we lose resources mm. in the nature. And now there's another difference. I mean, cows are not really heavily uh, important for nature, but bees are. So it's some kind of key resources. And cows we can uh, somehow uh, have in stable. In stables. That's what I just wanted to okay. ask. I mean, I see what you are saying. I mean, it's a highly interesting fact, which I wasn't aware of, that the exploitation of honey from bees has been quadrupled since the last 60 years, whereas the poor cows only needed to double their milk production. That alone is quite stunning. Is it correct to say that apart from that, the bee is actually only, so to speak, a semi husbandry animal because the bee flies out into the nature whereas a cow is all, always behind the fence if not locked up in a stable altogether whereas bees are still so to speak engaging with nature even while being kept for honey to be eaten by humans. Well, I think we have to differentiate in a legal term. We have made somehow out of the bees a husbandry animal, mm -hmm. but in a clearly biological, genetical way, it's still a wild animal. So we have first proofs and first protocols from authorities that it's clearly also a wild animal, not only a husbandry animal. And this is very important for us because we want to protect and promote the wild animal. Is that a key argument of Free the Bees, your organization? Yes, it is. It's one of the pillars we rely on that we need to protect and promote the wild living honeybees as they are linked to natural selection. So... Uh, The ones adapted, they survive, they can uh, multiplicate. The mm. ones not adapted, they just die. It seems like it was horrible, uh, lots of bees dying, but it's an important natural principle which guarantees the adaptation to climate change uh, and to other things, new diseases coming up, new parasites, uh, whatever. So bees can adapt, they need to adapt, and we let We, we need to give them the place and the time to adapt. So is this whole thing of the varroa mite 
something like, uh, say, a really bad virus. I mean, a little bit worse than COVID-19, but it's just still something which can be adapted to and ultimately overcome. Yeah, there are heavy links between varroa mites and coronaviruses. I mean, both are some kind. We, we, we look at it in a monocausal way and we just look at the aggressors and we, we don't look at the immune systems. And there are very powerful processes where wild-living honeybees can protect themselves from viruses, from varroa mites, uh, from whatever can attack them. And those processes they cannot install if we try to help the bees. I mean, uh, we can just try to give them the best conditions possible so that they can develop those processes and uh, the behaviors to protect themselves. But that's absolutely fascinating because what you are saying, if I understand that correctly, is that the bee's problem is not the varroa mite or whatever mite, but actually the human-created environment for them. Yes, you can tell it like this. We clearly know that varroa mites and honeybees, they can live together and they can adapt to each other. So they can coexist. So this we know in a scientific manner. We know it in a practical manner. And we know as well that if we start treating and we try to help bees to cope with the varroa mite, We don't let them adapt themselves, so we destroy the natural adaptation uh, and uh, we just try to help, but in a very short-term thinking. So probably today we might help, but uh, we destroy completely the natural evolution and the adaptation process. And the varroa mite is just one problem today. Tomorrow we will have new ones and in the future We will have plenty of new ones, so we need to have other strategies to cope with such parasites, with such viruses, than what we do actually in our civilization. That's a really fascinating statement. And actually, if I think about it, then our subject is climate adaptation, or in the same way, it's climate change. However, we can't change the climate or back change the climate so we need to adapt now if i remember correctly bees have a history of some 45 million years is that correct well in a scientific way they talk about more than 30 millions of years but uh, All right. uh, some are telling it must be at least 45 million years it might be even more so we don't really know okay so but that proves that bees are extremely adaptable i mean they apparently have survived probably one of the last mass extinctions so It seems that it is an equally then worrying phenomenon that these apparently most resilient beings are being threatened by extinction due to the fact of a human species industrializing the planet, to say it in a short yeah, this word. Is, uh, clearly right that... Uh 
it's the human civilization that takes the responsibility for, for this actual bees problem. And bees can cope with a lot of different things. They could, as you just said, 45 millions of years, they have a, an incredible successful evolution. And just for the last 100 years, we just uh, cut and destroyed the natural evolution. And today we have nearly all of the bee colonies in beekeeping. So uh, beekeepers who feed, beekeepers who treat, beekeepers who prevent the swarming, beekeepers who prevent the colonies from swarming. And there you can see that under these conditions it's just not possible to adapt to changes. So it's not possible to adapt to new mites, it's not possible to adapt to climate change. And that's where we propose solutions with 3 bees. And these solutions apparently go in the direction that we have to change much more than the bees have to change. You are listening to the Giraffe Heroes Foundation podcast. Our today's guest in the studio is André Wermelinger, founder of Three the Bees and co-manager of the GHF 2020 crowdfunding campaign Giraffes for Ecology and Climate Adaptation. André, in your part as a participant of our crowdfunding You offer, Free the Bees is offering some very interesting rewards which do not fit in the normal rewards box of a crowdfunding campaign. They are rather actually objects, products or even bee dogs which seem to be part of the remedication of the bee problem or which seem to be part of the strategy to actually cope with the bee crisis to make a new adaptation of them possible and that also would mean make the adaptation to the present climate crisis possible. Could you describe these rewards a bit more? For example, I guess many of our listeners won't have a clue what a klotzbeuter means. Yes. So as a rewards you offer a klotzbeuter Not only a klotzbeuter as a product, you also offer that everyone who is interested could make his own klotzbeuter. What does that mean and what can you do with it? By the way, a klotzbeuter, you can call it loghive uh, in, in English. There are different words for a it. Loghive. A loghive. A loghive. is just a German word. And just to have an impression, uh, it's just a, a hollowed piece of a, of a, of a tree. And uh, let's just uh, think what bees need for living in nature. And uh, one of the most important things for bees is just their own habitat. So their home and they have always lived in tree cavities. That means quite old trees with quite big cavities. They need a volume of around 30 to 40 liters. Uh, which is quite big, which means that the plant, the, the tree, needs to be quite old. And this is one of the problems in our forestry. We don't really have those old trees anymore. We don't really have the cavities anymore. Mm. So bees, they don't really have their natural habitat anymore. And mm -hmm. we know now that the natural habitat has some very interesting parameters in terms of uh, insulation, in terms of energy you need to, to bring in to heat the habitat. So it's like some kind of a miniature house. 
we know that uh, there are some very important factors uh, in terms of humidity. And mm -hmm. this is what we try to reproduce. We try to give the bees back their natural habitat with uh, hollowed trees, uh, tree cavities. And the first step we went down to learn how in the Middle Ages beekeepers, they kept their bees. And this is the so-called Zeidlerei in, in German, uh, tree beekeeping in, in English. And so we can learn a lot from the Middle Ages because they, uh, the beekeepers, they just kept the bees in a more natural manner. And now we went a step further and we started to create uh, the most adapted tree cavities, but in an artificial way. So we tried to understand the log hive, we tried to understand the tree cavity in a living tree, and we started to simulate. And this helps us to produce lots of habitats in a very good quality and bring them back to nature, bring them back to the forest, but bring them back to pre-elves, bring them back to even cities, whatever, it doesn't matter. We just need to give the bees its habitat and uh, there uh, all the rest is done by nature. Mm. And that's very important. That's fascinating. That means I can go to freezer bees and say I want such a log hive or clotsbeute and then they have one and I select it or they show me how to do it if I have enough time and then I take the clots and put it back into my garden or what? Yes, this is, this is right. We give courses on bees in general. Uh, what do they need? Uh, how can you produce honey in a more natural and uh, sustainable manner? And uh, if you really have the time and if you really would like to know how you can produce such a log hive, uh, such a clotspoite, we will show you. It's quite, uh, it, it takes about uh, two days and it takes some muscles and it's, uh, it's physical. So uh, you will sweat uh, during working, but it's very interesting. It's, uh, those are great courses. And uh, if you just say, I would like to give a habitat in my own garden, but uh, I don't have the time for doing a, a, a log hive by myself, so you can just order one and we will send you over the habitat and uh, then you just wait and you uh, hope that there are bees coming in into this habitat and then you enjoy and you look at it and just uh, look at what bees will tell you in your garden. Sounds absolutely fascinating. I invite everybody to order such a thing and help the dying bee, the infected bee, to get back to a more natural habitat. Yeah, but then what's a Swiss tree? That is also something you offer. It sounds even more uh, special. Yes, those are Swiss trees. They are exactly this simulation of the natural habitat. So instead of digging out, hollowing a piece of, of a tree, which is time-consuming and a lot of work, so we produce Swiss trees on a professional way and uh, they have somehow the same parameters as a, a natural cavity in the, in the nature but we can produce it in, in much bigger numbers, quantities. We can have uh, very 
controlled parameters and we can make some uh, scientific studies in such habitats, which is not really the case uh, in, in, in different natural habitats. I see it, so to speak, the monitored natural environment. Exactly. And there is probably another interesting thing. Uh, we have different uh, Swiss tree lines. And we have one Swiss tree where uh, we put the focus much more on the habitat. And we produce it in a way that you can even open and have a look into the bees. So this is very interesting for just uh, checking, learning. And we have another line where you can much more act as a beekeeper and even produce little quantities of honey, but honey in a, in a better quality and honey in a, in a more sustainable way. That really sounds like an absolutely fascinating product. I think everybody should prepare himself to look deeper into that. Now to come to this other fascinating reward reward item may be that is a bee dog you offer to sponsor a bee dog which kind of replaces or does the work of the traditional beekeeper in a much faster way how should that work there's a, a special illness called foul brood there's mm. the european foul brood and the american foul brood Bees, especially in the apiary, under beekeeping conditions, they suffer from this illness. It's just the brood being attacked by bacteria. And when the brood gets ill, uh, this smells in a quite horrible way. We as beekeepers, we can smell this too, but only when the illness is already quite developed. So this led us to the idea that we should probably try to train dogs because they can mm. sniff in a molecular way oh, yes. and uh, detect our foul brood in a very, very early stage mm. as they can detect explosives, as, as they can detect drugs um, mm. and as they can detect mm. other things like beetles in, in the forest or, or whatever. And uh, this is a very interesting project because for the first time we will be able to check beehives without the need of opening and stressing the bees. So uh, for the moment we need to open all the beehives uh, regularly and check whether there is an illness. And when we open we just mm -hmm. destroy the whole microclimate, we, we stress the yes. bees and this can lead to the illness uh, which mm. we want to prevent, so quite uh, stupid somehow. And we can check the hives without opening and especially we can check wild living colonies living in hollowed trees, in tree cavities. Mm -hmm. And for today we don't have any possibility of checking such bee colonies. So this will be the first time where we can say whether a wild living colony is ill or not. And this helps us a lot to protect and to promote those bees. Well, that sounds like a real breakthrough in the way to deal with bees. I mean, 
you make use of something well known, namely that dogs have extremely sensitive noses. Yes. And you apply that to the bee in terms of detecting not only their ailments, but also, so to speak, to uh, confirm that they are healthy, perhaps in the case of a wild living swarm in a natural tree. I think it's some kind of innovation in beekeeping and we think that we will be able to check this illness, to control this illness in a much more efficient and effective way than we do it today by bee inspectors. That's fantastic. I mean, I really think this is something which is only amazing that nobody hasn't come up with the idea before, but then again, beekeeping in the way of today's way, which apparently is harmful to the bees in a fundamental sense, only has a history of a hundred years. So after a hundred years, Andre comes up with a solution that is still kind of quite fast in terms of a historical process. Anyhow, we maybe have not that much time left anymore to talk about trees, but I think today's subject really are the bees, but it already has become apparent that trees are extremely important for bees because the tree provides the ideal natural habitat. The old tree provides the ideal natural habitat through its hollow cavities for a natural bee swarm. So understanding that today, of course, the key subject is the bees. But since our campaign is about bees and trees, so one word about trees only. Well, just um, probably a link that uh, bees are uh, dependent on trees. Uh, they are dependent on old trees with uh, cavities in it. And they are dependent on a large variety of different trees mm -hmm. because they are a good uh, resource of uh, nectar too. Let's take uh, the example of, uh, of, of a linden tree which um, had been in European forests and mm -hmm. now you need to search uh, a long time for, for, for finding a linden tree in, in a forest. And this is a, a very good nectar source uh, in, a, in, a, in a perfect moment for the bees. Mm. And if you don't have linden trees, uh, if you don't have a broad variety of trees in your uh, forest, if you only have uh, beech trees, for example, in Switzerland and some epicea, mm. uh, uh, well, uh, you just have a lack of food in, in, in the forest. So we need the, the yeah. broad variety, we need the old mm. trees, we need the habitat trees, and this is very important. Yeah, thank you. I mean, actually, this is, so to speak, a great lead over to our next podcast, which will focus on trees. As for today, regarding our crowdfunding campaign, Giraffes for Ecology and Climate Adaptation, which is starting next week, Do you have a wish or a vision for all of us for this campaign or would you like to say something to the crowd which is hopefully going to follow in innumerable amounts? Well, I just think that we are facing challenges uh, which we can only uh, find solutions in the whole civilization. 
So what we are doing, I mean, we show up uh, solutions, but we need everyone to think it uh, himself, uh, herself, and uh, we need support for uh, bringing these solutions into the mass. And I just uh, ask everyone to really help and be part of this movement and uh, help the bees, help the nature. And this is really our foundation for uh, human living. Yes, thank you, Andre. I mean, this is really about bees and trees as much as it is about us humans. I mean, us humans are the cause of potential disaster, but us humans hopefully will be also the remedy of that disaster. And it's very late, but the human character says it's never too late. Let's hope that Free the Bees is going to be ever so successful. And of course, please join our crowdfunding campaign next week. Please make sure that you look at what you are doing and we are welcoming everybody to join hands and work together, work for bees, work for trees, but above all work for a society getting healthy again. Thank you so much. Thank you. Stick your neck out. The weekly podcast of the Giraffe Heroes Foundation.